everyone, it's Dina McKay, and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged, the podcast that allows Blacks in tech to share their authentic stories with you, the listener. On each episode, the guest talks about how they got into tech, their work in the industry, and lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode on blacktechunplugged.com. Let's jump in. Hi, everyone. It's Dina McKay, and I'm back with episode 79 of the podcast featuring Shana Atkins, founder of Atco and a product development expert. Atco is a process improvement firm that takes customers from problem solving to acceleration with innovative product design, management, training, and managed services. Now, I've known Shana for years now. We met as two women building community at Blue 1647 in Chicago, which she briefly mentions on the podcast. And if you go back to episode 16, and whew, that is a throwback. But listen to the episode to learn more about Blue 1647 and its inception. Now, following that, I attended her Queen's Brunch. But most importantly, and I'm not sure if Shana remembers this, but she was a catalyst of my Scrum Master journey. She allowed me to sit in on one of her scaled agile Scrum Master certification classes, and I've been uphill climbing since then. So Shayna, thank you for my career jumpstart. So let's talk a little bit more about Shayna Atkins from a career perspective. She is driving innovation and workforce development and leaving a seat at the table for women in technology. In her role as a product development expert, she has coached and consulted organizations in process improvement and digital modernization. So on this episode, Shana and I talk about agile and what agile really means, how to not get trapped in the entry-level role trap, how to be seen in the workplace, why process improvement is needed within an organization, and why it's important to be known in the workplace. I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you do, make sure to write a review on Apple Podcasts. Link is in the show notes. Or if you're listening on Spotify, give me a lovely five stars. But most importantly, share this episode with one other person because people need to hear these gems. All right, now let's get it. and welcome to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. Today, I'm joined by Shana Atkins. She is the founder of Atco. So Shana, so happy to have you on the podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And I'm so excited to have you talk about your business. We're going to talk about agile, process improvement, all of the good stuff. So let's hop right on in. As I mentioned, you are an entrepreneur And you even identify as a product development expert. So I want to start with what does that really mean? Yes. In terms of being a product development expert, I've been in the world of tech for the last 13 years. And I've spent a good part of that time, like the full 10,000 hours, studying the how behind how products are built, how successful products are launched, and what are the steps to building high-performing teams that build great products, as well as maintaining a technology ecosystem that stores and, uh, you know, maintains and launches products out to customers every day. 
So basically, you've been studying everything about Agile. <laughs> yes. I know today Agile is a pretty main language, but when I talk about Agile, I really mean incremental ways of working in terms of the process that it takes to build a product. And actually, I was going to ask you about that because mm -hmm. as we know, people use Agile and Scrum interchangeably. Absolutely. And your company, however, uses all of the Agile <laughs> concepts. You use Lean, you're using Kanban, the Scale Agile framework, you're using everything which yes. is a little bit unheard of. So I want to ask, why do you use the multi-agile approach as opposed to one framework? Yes, I decided a long time ago that ACO as a company would not have bias towards a specific framework in terms of delivering a solution. And the reason why is because when we work with customers, we're really there to take them from problem solving to acceleration. A lot of times there's a very specific problem that a client is trying to solve. Sometimes it's that they have a launch coming up soon. They are spinning on it. They're trying to figure <laughs> out how can they get to the finish line, right? And mm -hmm. in those scenarios, you have to apply what's best for the problem statement and there is so many frameworks and so many tools that I think what makes ATCO different is that we customize the solution that's the best fit for the problem statement, for the company, and for the culture that we're dealing with. Yes, and we keep bringing up ATCO, but we haven't explained what you all do exactly. <laughs> so why don't you tell my audience, what does ATCO have to offer? What are your services? So ATCO is a consulting and training firm. And what we focus on is process improvement solutions. We say that we take customers from problem solving to acceleration. And what we do is we use ways of working frameworks. A lot of times that's agile methodologies to help clients solve for a particular problem statement that they have in the IT space that shows up in a lot of ways. So sometimes we're helping a team of help desk associates respond to service requests faster. And we might be helping them improve their Kanban process, for example. Other mm -hmm. times we might be helping a group of project managers become product managers. And we might be implementing a product management or ownership training. So it just really depends on the scenario, but we're really here to create improvement in technology processes. And someone listening might think, okay, you probably could do that from an individual contributor level in some kind of that sense, right? Like if you're starting up the first agile team within your department, you're doing a little bit of that work. So what makes your company different than say the individual contributor? Absolutely. So I would say that a lot of times when we come in, a lot of amazing individual contributors have done the work that you're talking about, right? They've started an agile team within a particular department, or they've had some really cool successes. And it's almost like this experiment of this team in the corner that's just doing amazing things. A lot of times when we come in, it's to help scale that across a department, across an entire company, and really help an organization achieve that you've been on an amazing team before, right? When it just seems to be all the right players, y'all are working yes. together really cool. You know, you still invite them to the barbecue. Maybe not everybody <laughs> from your last company, but you still invite some folks from that amazing team to the barbecue. Yes. And what we really do is we take those moments and we try to create that at scale for organizations and 
really create a team of teams that brings out the best of the magic of what that individual contributor may have created, but also bringing the science and the process into it so that it's something that's sustainable for the company to have long term. Excellent. And we got to get down to the real talk. So going into these organizations and trying to help them improve is not easy. Oh, it's not. I want you to talk about what it's like to actually go through that coaching aspect of trying to get an organization to change their processes. I think first things first is that ACO looks like the world that we live in. And some of the organizations that we go into don't always. And so sometimes there's just a gap in like, who's all in the room? (laughs) What's going on? But Mm -hmm. I actually think that that's one of our super strengths. Also, I think one of the things that we do, like we have a really crisp operating model, a delivery model at ACO. Basically, from the time we go into an organization all the way to what we call project wrap up, or if we decide if there's a continuation of services, there's a very defined roadmap. And kind of at the beginning of that roadmap, it looks something like observe, collect feedback, understand, and in the terms of our community, you're supposed to read the room. And I think that that's critical because everybody has the best intent. Any company is doing their best and is probably thinking like, we have implemented all the improvements we can implement. And they may not be always so open to an outside perspective. And just, we come in with that thought process, like one, let's read the room. And two, what is that 1%? that we can do to shift forward or to make a difference because that 1% mindset can unlock a lot of value. You know, 1% of some of the sizes of the companies that we work with is a significant amount of value. And also sometimes tiny, but mighty, right? Exactly. Tiniest thing will have the mightiest impact. Exactly. Exactly. And you were talking about your team and it sounds like they're diverse. Like we're listening to this podcast. We are two black women. You want to see some people that look like you when you get into the room, but it's not always the case. But I digress because I want to talk about your team because Inc. just named you the fastest growing private company in America. You're on that list. So first off, congratulations on that. That's amazing. Thank you so much. It's wild. (laughs) Yeah, it's really cool. And we also need to know, how did you do it? Because a lot of companies are not growing Mm. like that. And a lot of companies don't even make it out the first year. How are you growing and doing these amazing things? So one, I just really have to give glory to God first and foremost. There's some of this that's a little bit of like luck meets opportunity and timing. I will say that I started at Co as a side hustler galore, right? I was working at a, a large consulting firm. I had an idea. I wanted to do some things differently. And I started out in a very grassroots way. I was mostly working with like community organizations, Black women in tech, Black people in tech, et cetera. And I was just applying the same concepts that I do in, for my clients today. And it just so happened that the stars aligned. And when ACO was born, there was a time where it started to be very obvious that there was no longer a choice in having incremental ways of working or agile processes in the way that you build IT. It was just like every organization was kind of coming into the realization like, oh, we can't 
be set up like this anymore. So there was an industry change that happened. I think the other thing is I am a lifelong learner and agilist to the core, to the point where I got Kanban boards set up for the personal life. You know what I'm saying? I do lean economic prioritization for me and my husband's personal goals. I'm in it. I'm going to read the book, okay? I'm going to shift with the times. <laughs> I think part of that is when it was time to turn the ship, I take the realm and, and we turn the ship. I think the third thing is amazing team. I was that student in college who did not know what an internship was. I'm kind of in that first generation category on my mother's side of the family. So I was like so happy to have made it to college. Heck, the what happens afterwards part just did not dawn on me. And I did not ever get an internship. I did cool things during the summer, but I was not ready to enter the workforce. And so as a result of that, I run an intern program like it's nobody's business. And that was the first of an ACCO team, right? And so today that intern program fuels a lot of the entry-level team members that we have. And it really helped to differentiate us because most consulting firms don't have a customer service department. And we do because the customer experience is as important as the delivery of the services that we offer. So many companies forget about customer service. I'm telling you, especially when you're oh, B2B, B2B, right. like consulting type companies, they come in with those experts who know everything. And I'm telling you, they don't give no updates. They don't think of how you doing, how is everything. And we core part of why I believe we do well is we have a customer success department and like it's mm-hmm. a function within the company. and. From the time that you come in to the time that you leave, there is a touch. And I think that that white glove approach makes a difference. I think unlike a lot of other founders, I'm settled in that I'm a small business owner. I have Mm -hmm. a linear growth professional services business. I'm a boutique firm, whereas an exponential tech company, they can set themselves up a little bit differently. They have users, they have a platform, et cetera. So I very much treat my company as a boutique consulting firm, high touch, white glove services. And I think just being authentic to that with a startup mindset has really fueled the growth. And the customer success, just want to break down for people who do not know what that means, what that is exactly and how yours functions. So customer success is essentially the client's best friend or customer service partner during the time of a contract or the time of when we're engaged with a client or a customer. They're usually that person that checks in and makes sure that everything is okay. They're that person you connect with if things are not okay to fix them. For those who are listening, if you have like a airline membership or a hotel membership, even a gym membership, and you have an issue and you've been billed twice by mistake or a flight got canceled. That's that 1-800 line where you have that direct connect. There's usually tiers. Like if you're a really good customer, you usually have a specific person for you kind of thing. So we have a function like that where it's almost like a hospitality type of customer service dedicated representative that gets paired with each of our clients in addition to the services and solutions that they receive. That's amazing. I wish more companies had that. Look, right after this podcast, Dina, they will. No. (laughs) (laughs) So we're talking about your company, but you know what? I failed to ask you. So you mentioned you were working corporate. You had this idea for ATCO. 
How did you go from your idea stage to actually launching and putting your full dedication into ATCO? Yeah, so it was kind of a beautiful culmination of events because what I originally wanted to do with ATCO, and I'm in, I'm what one calls like an agile coach or digital transformation coach by trade. And I just felt like, hey, I'm one in the experience that I had before, a lot of the trainings and the coaching that we did was not, it didn't have any sauce. So I was like, I just want to make this more interesting <laughs> and uh, more engaging. So that was the starting point. And then I was like, oh, I want to do this in the community. You know, there was at that time an organization called Blue 1647. They had an incubator. I wanted to work with startups in our community and kind of apply these concepts because I knew the impact. That is undeniable. And so then by chance, I started this women's community. And when I started that women's community, I used to host these brunches where women who own businesses would kind of come and give advice. And I literally just had the pleasure of being the listener. Mm -hmm. And I did that for almost two or three years. And I don't know, just by chance of being around all those amazing women in the community, I just started getting corporate clients and I knew what to do because I had listened to people's advice for such a long time. And I was avid listener of podcasts at that time. So I was absorbing all this information. I had this idea. I knew I wanted to solve a problem. So I just started out as an independent contractor and things kind of added up where it just did not make sense for me to continue to be a side hustler. So I took a leap of faith. And then as my company grew, I was like, okay, it's time to hire employees. And I want to do that in the right way. Mm. What was that experience like hiring your first employee? So I will tell you, I read this book and oh my gosh, what I, it escapes me. It's about like Google's hiring culture and I, the name will come to me later. But during that time, I think I was interviewing for a job and I was actually interviewing for Google. I think that's what it was. And <laughs> they were talking about culture at this time. You know, that it exists, it's a, not a, a bunch going on, it's enough, but I'm still out here full time looking at life, right. right? So I right. wrote myself this letter on an airplane back from the job. Okay. And, I, and I wrote this letter and I was like, okay, listen, at Coast Culture will be X. I want to make sure that we deliver value. I want it to be human centered. I want people to feel like they can be their authentic selves here. So I had wrote this letter, I'm telling you, Dina, in 2015. It was just okay. me. We hired our first employee in 2018 <laughs> but that letter I revisited that letter and rewrote that letter many times over and I'm not gonna tell you we got it right in 2018 but I believe in <laughs> you know you have to hire slow and make sure you self-correct quickly so yes. I definitely did that but I also kept the core like okay what are our values? What's our vision? What's our mission? What's our hiring process? I think that ACO's like hiring process was established way before we had systems in other areas. And I think that allowed for those people to come in and create the systems in the other areas that fueled our growth. Okay. And that's almost like putting the agile methodology also into your hiring process because you're oh, like no you we're agile fan. we're agile in everything <laughs> we do we eat our own dog food for sure I like love that. we retro we sprint 
We okay. doing backlog refinement. Right. We got Atlassian going. We Jira users. Before that, we were on Trello. Yes, we have frameworks and methods. We do it, like, for real. And I love that because some people talk the talk, but then they don't walk the walk. Oh, it's painful, so. Dana. I, sometimes I got to can't even look at the retro feedback. I, I, <laughs> sometimes I can't even. I'm like, listen, y'all. What? We want to do what? But uh, hey, at least you know. That you have that transparency where the they transparency feel comfortable they, enough and to And they say what say. they mean. That right. But it's right. hard. <laughs> and Shana, you mentioned you were a consultant. You did agile coaching. And let's be real. When we were growing up, we didn't know these were career options. Like, oh, no. something that you like fall into. So I want to talk a little bit about how did you even learn about the innovation, agile side? And then what made you want to stick with that because obviously in life we pivot all the time so you could have went and did something completely different what makes you stay yeah so Dina when I tell you that I'm from the west side of Chicago okay so like at nine years old you could have bought a dollar 25 combo from me it was an Italian ice and a bag of penny candy you get what I'm Mm -hmm. saying so like no agile and digital transformation was not on the map my mom did own a beeper store to take it back so I did code and program pagers on DOS. So I I was never afraid of technology, if that makes any sense, because I did grow up with breadboards and coding on DOS and things like that. And those, I think, are really kind of outlier experiences where I say, you know, God is in the mix, right? Like some things, it's just Mm -hmm. that wasn't me. But I also am a product of entrepreneurs who got digitally disrupted, right? Like pagers went out, cell phones came in, we did cell phones for a while, but then big companies no longer lent their licensing out to individual retailers. They would just put up a T-Mobile store. Before T-Mobile put up retail stores, there were individuals who licensed from those companies and resold as resellers. So I say that all to say that I actually started my career in communications and high tech. So working with cable, cell phone, all that kind of thing. And I happened to have a project where I was... Agile was super new at the time. I was assigned as a product owner. Okay. And right Wait, before, before you that, go to your story, did you know what a product owner was when you were assigned no. to do that? <laughs> no. Okay. This is the beauty of consulting. You cannot know what you're doing as in that time I'm like a consultant yeah. level. I was very entry level. So you have a lot of top cover for people to sort of be like, Shayna is your new product owner. I don't even think there were certifications out back then. I'm going to be real. There was not a path. I never thought about that, not having the certifications. I just thought- Oh no, like the certification game is new. new. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these things were not a thing. But yeah, so they were like, Shane is your new product owner. And so I read my books and got myself together and we built this product. Just this thing was coming to life like, bing, here's the new page. And here's the next thing. I remember I had just rolled off this project where I was on it for nine months and I didn't see that code for the whole nine months. I was like, where is the thing? And I'm up all night. I remember I was a business analyst and I'm telling you, I was yeah. up all night with the developer. The developer loved to work nights. So he would call me at 10 and be like, oh, so what this thing that you got in the requirements document, what do you mean by that? It was hell. So for me to be in a product owner role where it's like, oh, here you go. I was like, oh, whatever this is, this is me. I need to see it come alive every time. So right. once that happened, 
it just so happened I was up for promotion and my manager was like, hey, I didn't get the promotion the first year. And he was like, yeah, you got to be known for something out here, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, okay, what? I got to be, he was like, oh, you're real, you know, you're doing everything you should be doing, but you got to be known for something. I was like, okay, so what is other people in my department known for? And what? And when I tell you that every executive at the firm was becoming an agile coach, Oh. two, three levels above me. Yeah. I was like, I'm about to become an agile coach because it's a certification. Right. And I had the product ownership experience and I had to be known for something. I was trying to get promoted. I'm like, I'm going to do what the people above the, above the people is doing. You are not going to deny me my growth. And that's what happened. I basically followed my bosses, bosses, bosses and what they were doing. And I got on the train. And what happened was because I was the most junior person that had certification, they put me on every project. They had me up there writing all the proposals, putting together all the quotes. So I knew everything about the pricing, the contract, everything, because I was the consultant on the ground. I had to do all the grunt work. So I took that grunt work and was like, okay, well, let me just take this and my little Queensbridge collaboration and that's such a good idea people don't talk about looking at what the people above you are like what are y'all getting certified in where y'all trying no, to go sometimes i need to do like, that people ask for mentorship and I, yep. that's the right thing to do they ask to be coached right Correct. yes i'm a big believer in asking to be coached by people who advocate for you but also observe the opportunities to coach yourself and be your own mentor, so to speak, or be your own counsel. Right. Because no matter what happens, even if you're at a job and they say you're supposed to take this route to get wherever you want to go, you're still the owner of that route. You are the person with the feet who are going on this route. You have to make decisions for yourself too. Yes. And my large observation would be because we do certification trainings. I largely see minorities certify in entry level skill sets. And then stay in that space for longer. And then some of the skill sets that track to director and above, Mm -hmm. I do not see minorities in those spaces as much. And that has been a large observation. Mm, We've been in business about eight years. Let's actually use an example because I think this is a great diagram to draw for people. So let's say, let's use, I'm going to be selfish, Scrum Master route. So if you're talking about from a, a certification standpoint, Entry level will be just like the CSM or... Sometimes people do like a Agile Fundamentals course, right? Because it's Scrum Mm -hmm. Master, most times it's not an entry level position. But what I also see is, for example, Scrum Master role is a process oriented role. So like if you go to people process tools, there are roles that are more tools or product related that could be product management type of roles. And then there's roles that are process related and scrum master, I would put in that category. So what I will see people do is in an agile fundamentals, learning about scrum or a scrum master role, or there's something called a release train engineer, which is like a scrum of scrums type of role, or even an agile coaching role. I will see that there are some folks who will just go straight to the agile coaching. They won't take the steps. They'll just go get certified in the highest category. If they're in the company that's in the change active right now, I do not recommend that for career switching. But like, I will see a lot of 
minorities go straight into whatever their first line of defense is, they'll go straight into that. I see other people network and talk about what's the best way to go, where's the best place to land, and then they decide where they want to go from there. And I think that that's the part that's interesting to me or fascinating to me is that a lot of times organizational change or decisions around job selection, if things are changing in an environment, there are a lot more casual conversations than I think most people realize. It's not as data driven, I think, as it should be from my perspective. Mm, Interesting viewpoint there. What advice do you have for people who are listening to avoid getting caught in the entry level trap? I think that there are times when it is critical to show up and ask questions and be visible. So when an organization is going through some sort of organizational change or if a team of teams are reskilling or changing the way they do things or improving their processes in some way, that's usually a time where it is time to lock in on the town halls, to get mm-hmm. off camera, to yes. start to ask your manager more questions, to just be seen. Sometimes during those times, there are conversations being had amongst social groups that don't look like us about that change, right? And about what's happening. And just because they're a part of the conversation, you remember them in the room when the post-it notes are going up about who lands where. (laughs) But some of us are off the camera and we're disengaged. We're in cultures that are not always feeding us. And then we get categorized in what's remaining. And that is just the real, real. That is very real. And I appreciate you for sharing your tips and advice because being seen is so important and seen is so showing up is so important yes i mean yeah it's part of the game and no matter where you are when you go into a job unfortunately it's a game in some sense of the word which could be a whole podcast itself but being seen is one of the starting pieces of playing the game and your experience where your manager said you have to go be known known for something right be known for something in the workplace. If you take anything from yes, this episode, be, known be known for something. Be known yes. for something. And, and not be known in the workplace. Be known for something in the workplace. Okay. What, what am I coming to you for? I don't just let's know also, you. Let's also clarify. Be known for something good. In the yes. Because <laughs> you can be known for a lot. So right. Don't be known be for the known. negative. Be known yeah, for something don't be known good. For the yeah. <laughs> I mean, because when ACO comes in to do the good work, we're looking at teams of teams, right? So that means mm-hmm. like a lot of times there's 500 people that we're looking at or 700 people that we're planning to skill or reskill or coach. That's a lot of people. You know, I've been in room after room after room and if you're not known for anything, then how will we know all 700 people can't be a part of the conversation? Somebody is always sponsoring or your mentor or your sponsor or your advocate who you may not even know who that is, mm-hmm. is speaking up for you. And if you're known for something, they will speak up. Exactly. If you're known, they will speak up on your behalf every yeah. single time. Yeah. And you know what, Shane, I want to shift the conversation back to agile and yes. the work that you're doing, specifically process improvement. 
And so at ACO, you all are helping companies improve their processes. But when it comes to process improvement, your motto that the how matters, especially when you're building tech solutions for today. So why does the how matter? I think it matters because anything you do that's in a sequential order or step by step, that's considered a process. And there's a lot of things that happen when humans work together that may create extra steps in what you're trying to achieve. And so back in the day in the lean manufacturing, which is why we bring lean concepts in a lot of what we do, there's the production line. Say for instance, Ford making a car, there's a line, each part of the car has to be put together. And there's something in lean concept around waste specifically it's called eight waste. And in IT, there's something that's very similar. So you can have uh, overproduction of waste, meaning that you're building features that customers are never going to look at, use or buy. There could be movement waste. There is context switching between projects. You might have too many projects that you're focused on at one time. There's defects or reworks in software development around planning, design, testing. So certain artifacts can become broken by change of priorities, creating waste. And when I talk about waste, I mean things that contribute to more time, more expense, and less value or revenue or profit coming into a company and more strain on the individual employee. So you got stressed employees. It costs more. It it takes longer. (laughs) And that's not good for anyone. So largely how process improvement plays a part is by actually identifying and understanding what the current state of what's happening. That's a lot of the where we start. And then identifying where are areas that can be improved. And sometimes those areas are solved by so-and-so needs less to do and needs to go on vacation. Sometimes it's solved by tools. Today, organizations have on average 3.8 AI tools that they are using. It was 1.9 two years ago. And so maybe it's tools that help with that process. Sometimes it's the steps themselves. Hey, we don't need to do Mm. step one through eight. We can do one, four, and eight and get to the same place. Or maybe we're building tech debt, which we think we're solving the problem, but essentially we're creating something that is going to be a hard thing to unravel later. And so that's what we bring to the table is this lens of not only this production line or this process or the set of steps to get to the goal, but also all of the aspects that it takes to actually really make a change within an IT context, which largely includes an understanding of digital components, whether that be tooling, whether that be continuous integration and deployment, whether that be other aspects of technical agility that you can implement to make things easier. And we were talking about process improvement. So I want to know what are three tips or pieces of advice that you have for improving the processes within an organization? I would say that number one, so McKinsey released this study recently of what is the state of organizations. And essentially, organizations want to increase speed and efficiency. They need to strengthen resiliency and really think about how their people are happy, whether it be retention, attracting people, hybrid work environments, what's the talent of DEI. 
So there's a number of things that are top of mind for organizations. So I think three process improvement tips that I have is number one, understand the current process that your organization is following for what you are doing. Say it's one team, you're on a specific feature or product team, you guys focus on a particular thing say for instance, is fingerprint access or whatever. What are the steps that it takes to get new features out to production? That I think is number one. And from understanding that, literally, I think just writing it down and understanding end to end, you will be able to identify something small or large, even micro tiny that you can do differently. So I think that exercise is used once a quarter or so. I would also say thinking ahead in the future Okay, what is the roadmap? I see people either over-index or under-index. I see people either be like, this is our three-year strategic plan, right? (laughs) Which is great. I think you need that vision. But I think three quarters is good. It's not a whole year, but it's like, okay, this is the next few quarters of what we're doing. But I also see people under index. They're like, this is what we do next month. <laughs> it's like, I think <laughs> you need you need some kind of foresight or forward thinking. So I do believe right. that balance and having a roadmap. And then my third thing, continuous learning. Anybody who works in tech for more than five years, you feel like you have had four or five jobs. Like you, <laughs> even if you're in the same position at the same company. It's changing all the time. So though that brings about a level of fatigue and self-care is important, I think it's so important to understand largely where things are going in the world and like where you fit into that. I think a healthy practice for individuals is to always interview. And I will let y'all learn on a secret. I interview once every couple of years at companies just to understand where are we, where is this company going? What are the trends? Where am I? As a founder, I still have a career. And I was a young founder. So I could still have a career in lifetimes from now. <laughs> I just think you should always interview. Just know where you are. And I think interviewing helps you understand where companies are going because usually the roles they're hiring for are more forward thinking to where they're trying to be. And I would say, really get your email etiquette together. <laughs> and I know that seems like not a process improvement thing, but you could do like a four four sections. Like here is what we talked about. Here's what I'm doing to address that. Right. These are the actions that we're taking. And thank you so much. Here's the human aspect, cordial part. Right. Make sure you have a human touch to it as well. But communication etiquette, whether it be email or Teams or Slack or whatever, I think is a large part of process improvement because I think we get lost in translation a lot. Exactly. But Shana, you mentioned you're a lifelong learner. So I have to know, what are you doing to keep your skills up? I love a good podcast. <laughs> I love a good podcast. <laughs> Dina, listen to Black Tech Unplugged. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Okay, seriously, a good podcast. But the second thing for sure is, I will go into it. I just did a communication coaching training two weeks ago. Got a certification in it. I think right. the pressures of being a founder... I'm a very human oriented person, but when it comes down to the get down, I'm like, oh, well, I'm responsible for everything going on. So I could be like, rawr, right? But like, right. that's not going to get us anywhere. Right. But we did not achieve anything alone. So 
I could roar all I want to. I'll be by myself and that's not going to help anybody. So yeah, let me work on these communication skills. And I think that's my thing is being self-aware enough to know what's the gap. Asking people like one out of 10, how am I leading you? One out of 10, how are we collaborating? If it's a seven, Mm -hmm. what do we need to get to 10? Right. And doing something about it. Right. Taking the results of your retro and actually putting it to work. Okay. Because, you know, the retros are hard to look at, but you got to do something. Yes. You have to do something. Yeah. And also, because I want to end the podcast on some more of your tips and advice, because you have a plethora of all of that. For people who are trying to get into roles, either they're new, haven't been in the industry, or people who are currently in tech, but they want to get into more of those agile type of roles within an organization. What advice do you have for them to transition into agile roles? The first advice is you have to find the like and alike, meaning in the sense of if you work in a particular industry and you are trying to go into an agile role, you may have the industry experience paired with the certification and maybe some volunteer work, then maybe that career switch should be in the same industry, if that makes any sense. So I think like find something that is like when you're making that transition. I think the other thing is there's a little bit of a map of if you have background in project management, if you are a Six Sigma person, or if you have experience working risk or compliance, like those things may make you more process oriented. So then you can draw the parallels to a scrum master role. Whereas if you worked in a system in and out, you may have wrote the user manual for it. You might have helped other people figure it out. That's more of product thinking. And so you might want to go to product-oriented roles. But I think largely in the tech industry, what's amazing about it is there are the hard-skilled roles, like development type of roles, but there are so many tangential ways to also support an IT ecosystem that a largely a reflection exercise on how to connect the dots. Nice. Yeah, I agree with your tips. To another thing is making sure you understand what roles are in the agile environment that you're trying to get into. Because one, agile environments are different at every organization. Yes. Two, a lot of times you're applying for roles and we don't really know what they are. And that's not a good look. So just no. understand what those roles are, what the responsibilities are before applying. Yeah, I A job description does tell a lot about a role. So I think really understanding job descriptions and comparing that up against other job descriptions, I think is helpful for understanding how to really address a role and what to address in an interview for a role. It also helps you understand pay scales. I would always, if I'm applying for one role or someone is applying for one role, look at the other roles in the market. Yes. Yes. And Shana, I want to ask two questions about the future. Obviously, we know AI is everywhere. Like you mentioned, there's like millions of tools out there and everybody's trying to use all of them. But what's going to happen to Agile when it comes to everything that's happening with machine learning in the AI world? I think Agile is going to largely be disrupted in the same way that waterfall was disrupted. I think we're going to go into almost like a, there's no name for this, but like a kind of continuous incremental agile ways of working like an agile 2.0 type of environment. And I think that AI tools and capabilities are going to enable and unlock 
workforces to focus on higher orders of problem solving, meaning that, and this is future, 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 right? But a lot of basic tasks can largely probably be addressed by a tool at some point in the future. And knowledge workers that are in tech will be the ones that are problem solving is going to become the forefront of how we show up in the workplace. So I think what that means largely for agile practitioners like me, and I know largely like yourself, is that we focus on ways of working and improvement as the forefront of what we do. So it's it's not as basic as, okay, we're going to do a sprint and (laughs) we're going to do these ceremonies. It's more like, okay, what is the problem that we're trying to solve? How do we root cause that? What do we use to address that? And then how do we measure it? Because I think data has unlocked a way where you can always measure what you're doing, measure it, and then let that data determine where you go next. So you mean they're not going to replace us with AI? No, I think that we're (laughs) going to be called to solve more complex problems. So always be learning and always be relevant. Yes. And my favorite question that I'm going to end with is, what's the future for ADCO and you? Yes. I mean, we are at the forefront of ways of working, right? So I think that for us, process improvement, ways of working is just how we do business largely. And I will say that for ADCO, I think the biggest thing that's coming up for us, we haven't started to partner with some very, very cool tooling companies where we'll be able to apply like process improvement and ways of working and some interesting capabilities. For instance, identity and access management, some pieces around security, so that not only we'll be able to actually kind of coach and train on particular skill sets and coach for improvement, but then we'll also be able to enable the tool sets that allow for long-term sustained improvement. So we're very excited about that. I think one of those partnerships has just hit like a couple of days ago, and it's with Agility Health. We're in contract with a couple other partners. We actually have some big names who have signed on with us as well. So just making sure that we go beyond solving the pain point to a sustained journey with our customers. Nice. Well, I'm excited to see uh, what happens in the future. Always rooting for you. So very excited to see these partnerships come to life and then hopefully even send some of my listeners and their companies over to you after listening. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. So we're doing these things called diagnostic workshops all throughout the rest of this year. So it's just like in celebration of Inc. 5000. So we have 10 slides through the end of 2023 where we're doing 90 minute diagnostic kind of workshops with companies. So if there's anyone who has an idea or they're in a space and you like, I used to have this amazing environment and there's some things going on we need to talk about, then yeah, come over our way. If people are interested, how can they connect with you, get one of those diagnostic sessions or anything in between? Yes. So you can connect with me on LinkedIn at Shana Atkins. That is the quickest and best way to get in touch with me and connect with me. And then from a like getting in touch with us about the diagnostics assessment, you can go to atco, which is atk.co. So our actual website is atco, like atk.co backslash contact us. And then also for your listeners who are looking to career switch or who are very talented and excellent in what they do, you can always go to 
atco, A-T-K dot C-O backslash careers. Okay, because uh, <laughs> we have fun over here. Thank you for listening to Black Tech Unplugged. I'm Dina McKay, and you can find the show on all social media platforms under Black Tech Unplugged. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this episode. And if you have a few extra minutes, make sure to leave a five-star review too. It will help me out a lot and help other people find the podcast. Until next time.